Hi, Rick. Hi, Ricky Poo Poo. You'll be so what glad. What if he doesn't like that name? Well, he could tell me. No, send he me can't. a text or send me an email. He can't talk back to us. Yes, he can. Wait, Rick is nice. He's not going to talk back and say, Rick, hey. Rick, if you don't like it, just tell me and I won't call you that. Should we call him? No. Ellen. Hi, Rick. Hi, how you doing? Good. Joey's here. Hi, Joey. Hi, Rick. Listen, I have a question for you. You're on the radio. Uh oh. <laughs> Rick, I have a question for no, you. I'll set it up. Rick, we sat down, and we always say hi to you at the top of the show, right? Uh-huh. And he said, hi, Ricky Poo Poo. And I said, what if he doesn't like that name? <laughs> and I said, he can tell me. And she said, no, he can't. I said, he can't talk back, number one. And number two, Rick is too nice. <laughs> Rick, do you hate it if I called you Ricky Poo Poo? That is totally fine. I don't mind that at all. <laughs> I told you, he's just too nice. So, Rick, can you do me a favor and just say the words, Ellen, you were wrong? Oh, Sorry, Ellen, you were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Hacha whoopee. So cute. How does it feel to start this episode in the wrong? I actually still don't think I'm wrong. Rick is the nicest, and he probably got off the phone, and he was like, those are the two twats I edit for. So you're calling Rick a liar. Mm. Welcome to I Think Not, (laughs) the podcast where we just really, really love being right. And also, we cover all of your favorite true crime TV shows. I am Ellen Marsh, and across from me is the most adorable gay man in a Metallica t-shirt you will ever see, and that is Joey Taranto. Well, I will say, you weren't wrong there. (laughs) Just kidding. I love you. I wish y'all could see what I'm seeing right now. Ellen, you are beautiful no matter what, but you are dressed like Miss Hannigan about to sing Little Girls. How so? You are in a robe with a top knot, and I'm just waiting for you to be like, you have the bin to bonus Irie. Listen, there are positives and minuses to working from home. The positive and the minus, the positive and the negative, there go we on, are. Go on, go on. Is that I don't have to put pants on any time. I just went and picked up my daughter from the train station in a bathrobe. Listen, I'm like Hallmark. I am celebrating the moments of your life, okay? <laughs> so I'm, I'm all for it. How are all of you? Are you here for the first time? Wow. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> Welcome down, bitches. We are so happy to be here on the main feed covering a new TV show, Death by Fame. This show is great. It really is great. And also, the the last case that we covered and this case, I had no idea. None. Fascinated. Yeah. You can find us here on the main feed. We cover four episodes, about one a month. I don't even know if we're still on that track. But we also have our Patreon. We have all kinds of tiers for you now. We have just rolled out some micro drop merch tiers for you. We have all kinds of perks. First of all, no matter what level you're on, you're going to get four bonus episodes a month. That's right, four. You get three bonus episodes of whatever show we're currently covering, and we are currently covering Frogging, which we covered on our main feed and brought over to our Patreon because you sick fucks love it. Listen, Frogging is the one I love to hate. It's like many of my relationships. (laughs) You can also find back episodes of Snap. See No Evil, I Almost Got Away With It, Pink Collar Crimes, all kinds. Oh, I Who the Bleep Did I Marry? There is tons of stuff there ready for you to download and binge for as little as $5. And you can check us out at patreon.com slash I think not. We also have all kinds of fun things coming your way. We have the Hallelujah What's It To You tier and once a month you get our talk show called Swamp Talk where we trauma dump on you and also we call you at home. That is right. We go through our list of down bitches and we're just going to call you in the middle of your day. Doesn't matter if you're doing Pilates, picking up your kids, cooking a meal, driving, singing a song, getting your toes painted. We're going to call you. We're going to talk to you. Good luck. But it's all there. What else, Joey? Nothing else. I'm, I'm excited for this episode. I really love this show. Me too. So, y'all, I had no idea what was in store, but you are going to be fascinated. This is season one, episode two of Death by Fame, Man of Anarchy. The Writer's Villa is the quintessential Los Angeles experience. The place was sort of like a bed and breakfast to Hollywood's up and coming set. Luminaries like Val Kilmer, Parker Posey, and Johnny Lewis, just to name a few. They would have never imagined in their lifetime that it would be known for such a brutal crime. I remember the story breaking on the afternoon news. And then 
the camera zoomed in and I was like, holy hell. What happened inside this upscale Los Feliz home? The bizarre murder mystery. Sons of Anarchy actor Johnny Lewis. Johnny Lewis was known for Sons of Anarchy, but now he'll be known for this. I don't think there's anything that's ever happened in Hollywood, the 25 years I've been here, that has taken my breath away. But that did. You know, here's the thing about fame. Lots of people want it. We live in a day and age where everybody wants to be famous, but I don't think that they realize how high the price is. Your privacy, your anonymity, it's very scary. There was a moment when I was younger where I thought I wanted to be famous. You lose a lot. You gain a lot and you lose a lot. And Hollywood is brutal. We have some friends that are really in the limelight and the stories they have told, they're downright scary. Yeah, you get money and you get notoriety and you get to go on planes trains, automobiles. How dare you. We start off our episode meeting an attorney named Jonathan Mandel. And the first thing he says is, There's a minimal distance between celebrity and insanity. Honey, who are you telling? (laughs) We have been around the block so many times in show business, and it's definitely something you have to navigate. Even if you're a very small fish in a very large pond, you, you have to safeguard yourself. Absolutely. Some of the most brilliant people I know are the craziest. They really are. There is a very, very thin line. I mean, like, you don't think Jim Carrey is a little, like, DeLulu? Yeah, He's I mean, brilliant. absolutely. A few French fries short of a Happy Meal, as yeah. my dad would say. R.I.P. Well, Jonathan goes on to say, you know, lots of people come to Hollywood with dreams of fame and most never make it. Our dear friend, Adina Alexander, always said it's called show business, not fair business. And you are forced to get comfortable with discomfort. Yeah, you really are. And we learned this in the Broadway world, which is obviously very different from Hollywood. Sometimes it's not about talent. Some of the most talented people I know never, you know, quote, made it. It's about so much more. Absolutely. And if you focus solely on booking jobs and you don't have something outside of acting that fulfills you, you will lose your damn mind. Yeah. So they start talking about a young man named Johnny Lewis. And we see these old, old movies of him as a toddler. He has this shaggy blonde hair and these big blue eyes. He was gorgeous. Just the picture-perfect little cherub toddler. If this kid was a child in the 80s, he would have been on the Toys R Us commercial. Hit it! I don't want to grow up More games, more fun, more toys. Oh, boy! I was obsessed with Toys R Us. And I remember when the Toys R Us by us closed and they put a sign up with Jeffrey the Giraffe and it said, all the kids grew up. (gasps) That is so mean! And I forgot about that until I saw a TikTok where someone was talking about seeing that sign. And I was like, I remember seeing that sign. You know why there's no more Toys R Us? Why? Bezos, baby. Amazon. Oh, absolutely. Thanks, Amazon. He had moppy blonde hair and big blue eyes. And of course, as soon as you're an adorable kid, what does everyone say to do in Los Angeles? They say, get him an agent, put him in TV. And his family did. Jennifer Gould, who's an investigative reporter, she is fabulous. Mm -hmm. She is put together. She really is. She is giving you like... Real Housewife, like Denise Richards vibes, just She's giving, not drunk and on pills. Right. Also, her coat was most certainly upside down. If you know, you know. <laughs> and she tells us that his first job was a Pizza Hut commercial, a national Pizza Hut commercial. Do you know how much money you can make off of those? Not these days, but in those days, national commercial, national commercials you can make in a day what an average American makes in a month. Who do you think right now, let's talk about national commercials. Who do you think probably in this moment has the most money? From commercials. The Verizon guy? That's a good one. I think it's Flo. Flo. What's the commercial? What's the um insurance? Progressive. Progressive. Like even the Snapple lady back in the 90s, I'm sure she amassed a fortune. Oh, sure. Connie Shulman. Our friend Connie Shulman. She was on an episode of Robbie and Ellen. She was in Rose Tattoo with me. She was the Manny's lady. Yeah, absolutely. And it had nothing to do with her being Patty Manny's. I know. That is not a weird connection. What are we talking about? But that national commercial, first of all, he was adorable. He was like a teenager. He was like 13 or 14 years old. And 
that commercial just skyrocketed him. It was everywhere. He just had such charisma. Obviously, he was gorgeous, and he just kept on working. He was on Malcolm in the Middle, the OC, and as he got older, he was booked and blessed, as we say in this business. Yep. And when he was 18, he moved out of his parents' house in the Valley and headed to Hollywood. Now, also, it should be said, he had saved enough money from all of his TV appearances and commercials that he had enough money to move out and get his own place. That's a big deal. When you're 18, I was still working at The Gap. Uh, My parents wouldn't let me work until I was 18, and I worked at the Gospel Bookstore. We all know how that ended. (laughs) All of your jobs ended the same way. Yeah. Wait a minute. How dare you? (laughs) So now we meet Lynn Champagne, fabulous name. Mm -hmm. Love that. And she was the department head of hair on Sons of Anarchy. And When you um, say the department head of hair, it sounds like you're saying a head of hair. That she, like, she was, like, in a department and she was just, like, a head of hair. No, she wasn't. She, she was the, well. There's... She was the head of the hair department. Yes, okay. She was a head of hair. So <laughs> there was, like, Lynn and it's just, like, a wig head being like, <laughs> hello, I'm here to talk. No, that actually is a head it's of a hair. It's a head of hair. Thank you, Lynn. But she does sound like she needs a lozenge. She sounds like a, a little, like, Marge Simpson's twin sisters. Oh, I thought she sounded like a nicer Roz from... Monsters Inc. Always watching Wazking. Where's your paperwork, Wazowski? <laughs> no, she's definitely like one of Marge's twin sisters. So it's true. Your hair committed suicide. <laughs> yes, exactly that. And Lynn says, I've been doing hair since I was 18 years old. I liked Johnny. Johnny was a, a really nice guy. The most calm, loving, decent human being that I think I've ever met. And in this business. She said he was just a decent person. Yeah. You know when you say that, that's a very specific word. Like, just someone with manners. No, she was the department head. She worked in the hair room. You can always tell how someone is by how they treat the crew. And that goes for anything that goes on set or backstage. Those are the people that take care of you. And you wouldn't believe it, but a lot of people don't give those people the time of day. They work so hard. And they are there before you and they leave after you. The least you can do is be polite. Right. Right. If I went on a date and someone was rude to a server, I would pay for the meal and never see them again. Absolutely. Well, because, well, because obviously we've been there. I mean, we're we're decent humans, you know, on most oh, days. Oh, so you think you're a decent human. Mm, sometimes. <laughs> you haven't seen me in traffic. I get road rage. She actually said he was the nicest person she had ever met in the business. And this yeah. one had been in the business for like over 30 years. Yeah. And he was part of Young Hollywood. I mean, we're talking like he was hobnobbing with the A-listers. When you think of Young Hollywood, who do you think of? Right now? No. Oh, like when we, well, okay, right now, who do you think of as young Hollywood? Timothy Chalamet. Okay. Timothy. Or like Zendaya. Yeah. Is it Zendaya? She's, I think it's Zendaya. She's beautiful. She's remarkably talented. She's insane. Our ADHD is out of control. Sorry. But, um, uh, also, this is very dark. So go with us, stick with us because there isn't going to be a lot of it. But like A listers of that time, like the 2000s, Mishka Barton. That's who I was thinking. Yeah. And then I was thinking Paris Hilton and Nicole Richie. Yeah, huge. Okay. Yeah, but in the pictures, it's all of those young OC stars, and he was in the thick of it. But you know what's crazy? I don't recognize him. Oh, I do. You knew who he was? Yeah. I did not. Yeah. Well, now our good friend criminal trial attorney, Sarah Azadi, is here, and something I noticed this week is that she looks like she could be related to Jennifer Lopez, like a cousin. Okay. That's neither here nor there. The ego is the same as well. Is she just like the resident criminal attorney for the show? Because it looks like she's wearing the same outfit, and they just shot it all in one day. And why? Why is she always taking notes at a bar? <laughs> I have no idea. Where else is she going to take notes? She's thirsty. Sometime in 2005, Johnny Lewis met the up-and-coming singer Katy Perry, and they struck a dating relationship. Baby, you're a fine, you work. Katy Perry is a very good singer. She is a good singer. I mean, she's a fine singer. No, she's got a good range. Yes, she's got bops. I'll tell you that. She wrote bop after bop after bop. Teenage Dream. Swish, swish, bitch. I mean, that's not my favorite. But I love that song. Yeah, the one that got away. Great song. Part of me. This is the yep. part of me. She, she makes bops. But she was a nobody in 2005. And Johnny and Katie were dating and they were having a good time. And they were very similar. They were really bubbly and genuinely sweet people. They just made sense. Now they're showing us these pictures of Katie and Johnny. Did you see the picture where he's wearing a Freddy Krueger sweater? I sure 
dead. I thought, I looked at the picture, then I looked at him, and I was like, oh, it's Halloween. And I looked back at Katie, and she wasn't wearing a costume. I was like, oh, no, you just look like Freddy Krueger. Yeah, it's a, whenever you wear a red and green striped sweater, you're begging to be called Krueger. It was so specific. It was almost like a joke. And then I tried to look at the step and repeat behind them. I was like, are they at a horror movie? No, he was just 20 and stupid, like we all were. They both were outgoing and fun. And Robin Matthews, who's the key makeup artist on Sons of Anarchy, says... She was the daughter of a Pentecostal minister, and he was a son of very religious Scientologists, so they bonded over their religious upbringings. And, I mean, I don't know what their upbringing was like, but, you know, it could be very rigid. And I know for me, I had to work through some of my resentment because I missed out on a lot. Mm-hmm. Like trick-or-treating! Like trick-or-treating. I will and never so- let and- that go. And Celine Dion. What do you mean? You weren't allowed to listen to Celine Dion. You told that story. I mean, I snuck it all. I eventually, I just figured out, I mean, I had a Sam Goody under my mattress. Aww. Well, they were together until about 2006, like less than a year. And she made a statement out in the public that they broke up because she needed to focus on her career. I just wrote, why? Why do you have to make an announcement? We're breaking up. Why is it your business? Why? I'm sure when you're up and coming, you just need every little bit of clickbait you can have. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. You know, people also now getting ahead of the story, people are like, was there more to that story? Put right. a pin in that. But breakup or not, Johnny kept booking. Yeah, he, he sure did. He was booked. I'm a, I'll say it again, booked and blessed. And Johnny was doing a lot of guest star work, which means, you know, you have like a small arc on a syndicated TV show. But, you know, that, that stuff adds up. Well, he was working on shows like CSI and Bones. And when they're telling us this on a voiceover, they pan to a picture of, I don't know, CSI or Bones or something, whichever one it is. But he's not in the picture. Did you notice that? <laughs> no, it was I like, didn't. It was some redheaded lady and another guy. And it ha- they had it on the screen for like nine seconds. Yeah, they're like, sorry, we missed the, did we miss something? Yeah, I, I was like, he's not He's not in that picture. We couldn't get the rights. Like, <laughs> Finally, it was in 2008 is when he got his big break. He was cast as Kip Halfsack Epps on the critically acclaimed FX show Sons of Anarchy. Now, I've not seen this show I have a question. What does the half sack refer to? Are they talking about testicles? Yeah. And then they answered the question for us. Mm -hmm. In the show, they call him half sack because in the war in Iraq where he served, half of his nutsack got blown off by a grenade. Is is that in the character breakdown when you audition? Yeah, they were like, we would prefer if you actually did have a half sack, but we will see people who have two sacks. I need a minute. Yeah. (laughs) I need a second. friend who had to have one of his testicles removed because he had cancer and we had so many nicknames for his one ball I can't believe we didn't come up with half sack the show was on FX and the show was based on a hell's angel motorcycle gang I wrote look up facts on the show oops (laughs) (laughs) well it was starring the amazing Katie Seagal from Married with Children and Charlie Hunnam who is a beautiful man I don't know if I said his last name correctly but he is a beautiful man and like humana 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 Katie Seagal, I have never gone back and watched Married with Children. Do you think it is probably not great looking back on it? I mean, it's a very chauvinistic show. Uh, I don't really care to go and visit it. I feel like it's like a dude's show. I mean, I watched it, but I can't really remember anything other than, you know, him putting his hand in his pants and Christina Ricci being like gorgeous and definitely like sexually exploited. Nope. Christina Applegate. Yeah, there you go. I got there. I got there. sure did. But Katie Seagal... I mean, you know, she's got great comedic timing, but also she's a great serious actress as well. And so Johnny booking this show was a big deal. It was it was life changing. Like this is the stuff that you dream of as an actor to get a series regular on a show and then for it to become a hit. You're golden. Right. Robin says this. It was a big cast of, you know, mostly men and they were coming in very committed to their parts. You know, they were very much the bikers that they portrayed on camera. When she is looking for the word committed, don't you feel like she was trying to say it was like a set full of a bunch of assholes? Yeah. I mean, basically, she was like, it was just dicks everywhere. Right. Fucking dicks. I, I've worked on a show where it was mostly straight men and the testosterone is palpable. Yeah. It's they a like, lot. It's contagious. It just feeds off of it like a like a fiery ball of balls. Half balls. And that worked out. And then she says, but Johnny was different. 
Robin goes on to say he was a bit of a loner. Like, he would just sort of be in the corner reading poetries. Very different from the sort of gang fraternity. Yo, what's up, sir? You took that motorcycle class? It was hot, right? Yeah, my hot rod's so fucking hot. You know what uh, chicks love? What? Hot rods. They love hot rods, and they love it when you bang them. <laughs> Nothing like banging chicks and hot rods, right? Am I right, bro? Yeah, bro. You want to, like, take down our pants and see who's got a bigger penis? Bro, what's your middle name? I'll write it in urine on the wall. (laughs) Is that a reference to a movie? It's Big Daddy. Yeah. What's your name? He'll write it on the wall. And you know those guys. Like, as they were describing him, I was like, oh, he's like what we would call, like, artsy-fartsy. He's Reeve Carney. Yes. He's absolutely Reeve Carney. For those of you who don't know, Reeve Carney was the star of Spider-Man, Town. He was also on Penny Dreadful on Showtime. And it's it's like that. He is a true, like, artist, introspective. Sen- yeah, sensitive soul. And many people make it a point to say in this TV show that Johnny never did drugs and didn't drink. Like, yeah, he very straight-laced. wasn't his jam. And then Sons of Anarchy blew up. The critics loved it. It won a ton of awards. And of course, when that happens, every actor involved, their their career benefits from it. Again, it is a dream come true. But he was unhappy. In fact, Johnny started to spiral and his mental health was beginning to suffer. He wasn't doing well. So much so that the second season, he asked to be written off the show. That is a huge deal. Y'all. Huge. When we, when you think of long-running shows, right? When you get a show, most shows, first of all, don't even make it yeah. to network. Yeah. I have been on two TV shows that never saw the light of day. Just getting approved to get the green light to go to network. So many get canceled mid-season, one season. It's like rarely is there a This Is Us or Grey's Anatomy when Breaking Bad. When you get a show that hits, that's it. You're set up for life. You're really hitting hitting the lottery. I remember Jennifer Aniston in an, in an interview saying, you know, leading up to Friends, I booked one pilot every season and it never got greenlit. And I just was like, well, this is what it is. You book a pilot, you do it, and then you move on to the next. So when she got Friends and then it blew up, she was like, I had no idea what to do with this. So to be asked to be written off a hit show, everyone on set was like, what? Yeah, very confused. Nobody could understand it. I mean, no one wanted him to go, yeah. obviously. And then, but nobody could even make sense of that in their brains. That's not what you do. You come to Hollywood to be a star. You're a star. Why are you going to opt to walk away? And I'm sure that a lot of those actors were like, you ungrateful brat. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of those actors were older than him. And listen, we've all struggled in this business. We know that thing where one year you have a great year. The next year you're living paycheck to paycheck. Well, not you because you are a squirrel hiding all your nuts. <laughs> um, but, you know, I mean, like it's a it's a. It's a dream come true. And so I think they probably felt, I'm just speculating, but they probably were like, how can you be so ungrateful and walk away from this opportunity? Now, he and I, we spent a little more time in the trailer, we, you know, when he wasn't on camera. He told me that the biggest thing he didn't like about the show was the violence. And it's kind of ironic that they killed his character off on the season two finale by stabbing him to death. A very violent scene in which his character, Half Sack, is trying to save a baby. That's actually important, so save that for later. Yeah. And when that happened, the internet blew up. Yeah. Season finales are always huge. And when something crazy happens... You never watched The Walking Dead, right? That's not your vibe. No, I do not like scary I know, movies. But it's a TV show. I don't like scary TV shows. Okay, well, I was obsessed with The Walking Dead until eventually I was like, can we... Can, uh, will the dead... Uh, uh, Stop walking. Can, can can we keep them from walking? I'm, I'm over it. But famously, every season, they killed off a main character mm-hmm. and you never knew who it was going to be. And it was always someone beloved. And it is traumatizing every single time. You know, it's so funny. Something that really affected me on Orange is the New Black. Did you watch that show? I forget. I, the first, like, three or four seasons. Okay, if you haven't watched season three, fast forward twice. When they killed off Pusey, mm-hmm. they killed off a character. That was hard to watch. They killed off a character that people loved. It's so daunting. So it wasn't done for dramatic effect. It was done because Johnny asked, but it was very shocking to the audience. The internet 
blew up. I can talk about that episode happening. I could talk about it for an hour, about why they killed her off, how they killed her off. The way they killed her was traumatic, deeply disturbing. Okay, I'm sorry for taking this turn, but I was so obsessed with it. I was Googling the writers and I was looking it all up. Do you know why? First of all, the head writer was her girlfriend. Wow. Yeah. But yeah, I know why she left. Why? To do The Handmaid's Tale. Incorrect. No. No. They wrote her off because I was very emotionally invested in that show. I loved that show. They wrote her off because as an audience member, you felt safe in the knowledge that you knew once she got out of prison, she was going to be okay. Oh. Because she like was bilingual. She was just, you know, effervescent and energy. Like she wasn't like Daniel Brooks's character always. She'd come back a couple times. She was going to get out and stay out. We had hope for good things for her. And that's why they wrote her off because they knew it would impact the audience and it fucking worked. Cool. So they're monsters. Yeah. Got it. And her girlfriend was the head writer. Wow. I thought it was for The Handmaid's Tale. Mm -mm. But back to this, all to say that everyone was like, well, that was career suicide. You gave up a hit TV show? Also, you were on a show about the Hell's Angels. It it doesn't scream situation comedy. Right. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) I feel like you'd know what you were getting yourself into. But also, you're allowed to change your mind. Always. If, (laughs) If you're like, this is not for me anymore, good for you. And it's brave. I will say it's very brave. To readily walk away from Sons of Anarchy, that is questionable. And Johnny Lewis did it for a reason that was completely contradictory to the roles he took after that. He played a serial killer on Criminal Minds. He was in this movie called Lovely Molly, which, again, was quite dark. So people, especially friends from Sons of Anarchy, were very confused. They're like, which is it? Because you look at this guy, he's probably drinking a matcha and wearing a scarf in the summertime, and he looks very centered. So people accepted that. And then they're still, why why are you playing these dark roles still? Yeah, it doesn't line up with your goat yoga sort of persona. And then they start talking about how actors can absorb the energy of the character you're playing. That is so true. Absolutely. Because when you are playing a character, you really get to the guts of someone. I remember reading about, funny that we mentioned Jim Carrey before. I I was just going to mention. When he was playing Andy Kaufman, he would come to the set as Andy Kaufman. He would eat lunch as Andy Kaufman. He spent time with Andy Kaufman's family as Andy Kaufman so much so that he had interactions with his sister where they were starting to believe. Same thing with Jennifer Lopez playing Selena. Mm -hmm. Like they started to feel like they had their daughter back. He was so method, they brought back the original cast from Taxi for that movie, and he drove those people nuts. They, like, there's a documentary about it. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, and you can see him on set, and he's, like, out of control. The director was like, I don't know what to do. But you could see that Andy Kaufman, the deceased actor, and Jim Carrey were now one person. It's fascinating. So that all kind of tracks as they're saying that he was sort of absorbing these dark characters. Now, it's October 30th, 2011, and he decides to go out on his motorcycle just for some fresh air, clear his head a little bit. And he's riding two hours away from Los Angeles. But unfortunately, he's involved in a high-speed accident. He's not wearing a helmet at the time. The fact that Johnny wasn't wearing a helmet shows that not only was he being reckless, also, it's against the law not to be wearing a helmet in California. And especially being that he came from Sons of Anarchy. I see people riding around New York without a helmet all the time. I have fallen off my bike, felt like slammed my brakes and fell off my bike forward. And thank God I had a helmet on because you can really do damage, major damage to yourself, especially on a motorcycle where you can, I mean, if he's on the open highway and he's going 75 miles per hour, that's terrifying. And then another contradictory thing was that everyone was like, wait, in Sons of Anarchy, they took major safety precautions. They took motorcycle training. He was well aware of the safety protocols involved in riding a motorcycle. That was drilled into their head on set. Yeah. They had all kinds of expert people People there. They had stunt people there. Everyone was kind of like, he knew better. And also, is this a cry for help? Right. So Johnny was okay. He survived the crash. Apparently no concussion. But folks speculated that after that accident, Johnny was never the same.
brain. Now, we know that traumatic brain injury can change people. Very much. Fully. More details on that later. So now we meet retired Lieutenant Gil Carrillo. Wait, um, it's it's LT Lieutenant. So just if you want to do that again, it's just LT. It's just LT Lieutenant. <laughs> Look at me in the eyes. I love you. I love you too. I love you so much. I love you more. When you are old and gray Mm -hmm. and we undoubtedly live in a commune where I'm the only man allowed Mm -hmm. with Daisy Egan Mm -hmm. and Amber Hunt Mm -hmm. and Maggie Freeling. Rabia's coming too. And Rabia. She's going to cook for us. When you take your bra off, I will be there to catch your boobies from hitting the ground. Oh, that's the nicest thing you've ever said. Yeah. That's love. My boobs are shockingly perky for a recipe. Shut the fuck up, okay? (laughs) And so, like I said, we meet Lieutenant Carrillo. I I love saying that. I can't decide if I love him or hate him. He's just very matter of fact. He there there is no filter from his brain to his mouth. And sometimes he says stuff that I'm like, okay, so you are a boomer and you don't understand that perhaps some of the language you are using is archaic. But he's just sort of like, this is what it is. The thing is, I think he's actually very good at his job, but he has no rounded edges. No. Well, he's also been a homicide detective for a very long time. and In L.A. In L.A. So he has seen a lot. And I would imagine that it's like no bullshit straight to the point. Right. When I talk to my mother, I love her so much. I literally say to her every time and she's like, why are you so rude? I'm like, I'm not rude. I need you to land the plane. You give me so many details that I don't need. Get to the point. She was talking about her dog's condition. Uh, she had to bring him to the vet and she was going on about the collar and how he's been scratched. All these things. And I'm like, is the dog going to die or not? <laughs> so now we get a taste of Johnny's sort of demise. In January of 2012, two men heard noise in their residence. When they went to check the residence, they found Mr. Lewis. He's in there and he's just wearing pajamas. He doesn't live there. He doesn't live there. He's just in his pajamas and he wouldn't leave. And And they're like, who do you think you are walking into other people's home and claiming it as your own? Christopher Columbus? (laughs) And then Johnny bottles them. And one guy jumps up after he's been hit in the head. Is that a term for hitting people across the head with a bottle? You bottle them? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. Like if you get bottled. Wow. Yeah. Is that a British word? I don't know. I've never heard it. Oh, my ex-husband had a scar on his eye. It was from once he got bottled at the pub. Right. Um, did they have bottles? Bottles. But, no, bottles. No, bottles. No, bottled. When you, you, you know, you, you no, do not butt, butt stuff. But, not buttholes, bottles. No, no, no. But bottled is when you get, you know, you do butt stuff. Bottled. <laughs> and another one bites the dust. Okay, a straight sorry. man was like, turn that off, Marge. <laughs> so he bottles him. This guy jumps up, starts fighting back, and he's like punching Johnny in the head. Johnny bites him. He was a scrappy motherfucker. Also, he is unfazed by the blows that he's taking to his head. Like, literally superhuman. And they finally get a hold of Johnny. They contain him and call the police and he was arrested that night. So he tells the police the reason he broke into that house was because there was a baby in there that needed saving. There was a baby crying and there was nobody attending to this baby and he had to save the baby. There was no baby in the there apartment. Was n- there was no one in the house. There was no baby crying. A baby didn't even live there. Like there wasn't even a no. nursery. There was not a sign of a baby. So sadly, I think Johnny was beginning to hallucinate and hear voices. He's charged with trespassing, burglary, and assault with a deadly weapon. He's then sent to Twin Towers. That's the jail in downtown Los Angeles. Can we please change that name? Can we change that name? Maybe something simple like two buildings next to each other that have inmates in it. I don't know. We can workshop it. But like two Twin Towers. Two tall buildings that do not resemble a major awful catastrophe in the United States building. We'll workshop it. Yeah. And while incarcerated, Johnny became more erratic. He kept acting stranger and stranger. They found him banging his head against cement walls. He also tried to jump from the second story of the jail. It was erratic. It was scary. Eight days into custody, his dad came and bailed him out and he went to go live with his parents. I feel really bad for this guy because he is obviously experiencing a mental break. And I would be curious to know what attempts were made to get him help at this time, but they don't really talk about that. I'll tell you about it. Okay, I knew you would. And so Johnny is black and blue from self-inflicted wounds, banging his head against cement walls. He's in bad shape. And also, in addition to just looking awful and disheveled, he has suddenly developed this extreme sensitivity to light, so much so that he could not stand lights. He would actually sneak into his parents' basement and turn 
off the fuse box. It was hurtful to him. Yeah. That has to be a result of the traumatic brain injury. Of course. Because there are... Obviously, there's so many things that can go wrong. You have physical symptoms, cognitive symptoms, and sensory symptoms. The top sensory symptom of cognitive brain injury is blurred vision, ringing in the ears, bad taste in your mouth, sensitivity to light and wow. sound. Wow. Wow. And it had just happened. Yeah. On February 10, 2012, Johnny's in Santa Monica at a yogurt shop. And he just randomly starts talking to this family. Everything is calm, everything is normal, and the family leaves the yogurt shop. And they're walking when they hear someone running up behind them. The father turns around just in time for Johnny to attack him. Out of nowhere, unprovoked. He hit him full force in the head. And this man was an off-duty police officer. So you know they're going to throw the book at him. And everyone who hears of these things are just thinking to themselves, Johnny's not confrontational. The boy would read poetry in the garage on set. Like, this is not the Johnny we know. What is he doing going around punching random strangers at the Pinkberry? Well, John... (laughs) Not the Pinkberry. Am I the only person that does not like frozen yogurt? I love Pinkberry, though. I also don't like ice cream. At all? No. I mean, it's not that I don't like the... It's the texture thing. I just don't enjoy it. Do you like Italian ices? Mm, It's not my favorite. Do you like drumsticks? It's not my favorite. It's not like I can't eat them, but my go-to desserts are more like brownies. Do you like... Eclairs. Do you like ice cream sandwiches? No. Do you like Astro Pops? Oh, on a hot summer day. Do you like Otter Pops? What the... (laughs) Like frozen ice, the frozen ice sticks. Oh, like one of those Flintstone pops from the 80s? Well, we called them otter pops, but yeah. Okay, let me call them otter pops. <laughs> so he is bailed out of jail again by his dad. And then February 18th, 2012, at 923 in the morning, there's a call in Santa Monica from a woman by the name of Mrs. Merkel. Not Urkel. Merkel. She was in her apartment and she heard a strange noise outside her window. She opened the curtain and Johnny was trying to break into her apartment through the window. She immediately yelled out to him, hey, what are you doing? And his response was, I was looking for my friend Bob. She said, no, you weren't. You were trying to break into my house. And Johnny just walks away. But Mrs. Merkel is like, not today, Satan. She calls the police and the police show up. And he's like, what are you talking about? That's my friend. And Mrs. Merkel is literally giving you Mariah Carey because she says, I don't know her. So Johnny has become super unpredictable. And the other thing is people don't know, is he lying? Or is he believing these thoughts in his head that there is a friend Bob looking for him or that he is friends with Mrs. Merkel? They don't know. So his lawyer comes back and he just says he is a really sweet person. He has a kind heart. Johnny financially took care of his family, not the other way around. And his lawyer is like, listen, we can turn this around. We can get him some help. So they go to bat for him and they say that he just needs help. And the judge agrees. He was facing one year in jail, but they gave him the opportunity to spend two years in a mental health facility. That had horseback riding. Yeah, he was going to get really good care. It was residential. It was beautiful. And so not only does he save himself from going to jail, he can get help and he can get better. But Johnny refused. Johnny refused. He did not like his lawyer, Jonathan, because he would say, I don't think you believe in my innocence. And Jonathan would say, it's not my job to believe you're innocent or guilty. It's my job to present you with all the evidence, all the facts, and to work something out for you. I can't help you if you don't want the help. And Johnny was like, I don't want your help. I'm going to go to trial and I'm going to represent myself. Right. Because I've said this before. One of my ex-boyfriend's dad was a big defense attorney in California. And I used to press him on it. Like, how can you defend people if you know they did something? And he said, that's not my job. My job is to ensure they get a fair trial. Yeah, that's it. And Johnny was just stuck on that. So he fired Mr. Mandel and he was like, I got this. I can play lawyer. And the thing that Jonathan was most upset about, obviously, he wanted to take his case, but he really wanted him to get help. I was deeply concerned about him. I wanted him to stay in jail or in the program because I thought he needed it. I didn't see it as a dangerous issue. I just didn't see it that way. And obviously, I was wrong. It was a dangerousness. 
So on August 8th, 2012, Johnny pleads no contest. But here's the thing. He was in jail and they were experiencing overcrowding in this jail. So he actually got only three years of probation and was ordered to pay $245 in restitution. And he was released on September 21st, 2012. And so everyone is thinking, is he a con man? He keeps getting in trouble and getting bailed out. And what what's going on here? He obviously was experiencing some kind of distress, but nobody could really understand it. After he was released from jail, his dad arranged a really good living situation for him. He arranged for him to get a room at this place called the Writer's Villa. Had you heard of this before? No, I mean, they explained it's a mansion in Los Feliz. It's this gorgeous Spanish-style home. I have to tell you, the tearing down of the Spanish-style homes in California breaks my heart every time we go. They're beautiful. Remember, you know, my friend Mia, we stayed at Mia's house. There is a house across the street from her that was like that old California Spanish style and it was torn down and now it's just a big modern ugly ass box. Mm. It's so beautiful. I absolutely hate it. But the Writer's Villa is a place where young people who were just sort of on the brink of their stardom, you know, creating something new would go and live. Parker Posey lived there. Chris Parnell lived there. I actually looked up the list of people. Writers, producers, film score scorers. Mm-hmm. All kinds of people. It was like a rotating home, gorgeous home for young people working in the industry. And the person who cultivated this community was a woman named Catherine Davis. She was essentially the landlord, but she was also like everyone's grandma. She was a huge supporter of the arts, a patron of the arts, very much a grandmother figure. And Johnny Angel Wendell is here and he was a neighbor to the villa. I keenly remember the times we had there because it was fun. It was like everybody was riffing off of each other. There were massive gargantuan parties. There were multiple roommates. But here's the thing. When Johnny moved in, his father failed to inform Catherine, the landlord, of Johnny's history of violence and jail time and his criminal record. It feels like information that was important. So it's just five days after his release. It's September 26, 2012. And a neighbor hears screaming coming from the villa. And she calls the police and the police come shortly after. And when they arrive, they find 28-year-old Johnny dead in the driveway of the residence. He had fallen from a balcony and sustained fatal head injuries. And at this point, investigators are unsure if he jumped or if he lost his footing. And of course, the news spreads of his death. His co-workers from Sons of Anarchy are devastated and shocked. And they all remember him as a very kind, very calm person. They just couldn't wrap their heads around it. Of course, how could you? It's senseless. And everyone has so many questions, including investigators. So they start with Johnny's neighbors. They talked to his neighbor, Dan. He explains that he met Johnny that morning. Johnny came over, introduced himself, was really friendly. He had never seen him before. And then Johnny heads back to the villa, right. comes back 30 or 40 minutes later. And there was this painter with Dan painting his house. And all of a sudden, Johnny goes to this painter and starts punching him, attacking him. And this massive altercation breaks out. Dan's wife comes out. It's, It's literally Johnny fighting with the painter, the neighbor, and his wife. They're hitting him, but Johnny again is completely unfazed by the hits. It's almost like a movie. Like in Avenger... Nitron, Wonder Woman, I don't... Captain, Tell me more about that movie. I don't see those movies. But nothing is phasing him. It seriously feels like, in you know, in T2, where he keeps getting, yeah. and then he just... Does everyone see that? What does he do? Uh-huh. You know, he like melts back together. Uh-huh. So the, finally, the three of them get into Dan's house, and Johnny is also right behind them trying to get into the house. He's got his arm in the doorway, and they slam that door on his arm like three times, and... Again, he was sort of unfazed until all of a sudden he ran off. Johnny ultimately decided he was going to go back to the Ryder Villa, jumped over the fence, and went inside the house. Dan has no idea, nor does his wife, what happened after that. They just know that he ran and disappeared back inside the house. 
And these people are terrified. They don't know who this dangerous, unpredictable person is. So now the police are responding to the altercation because the neighbor had called them, right? So they go in the house. They go to the first floor. Everything is fine. By the way, I googled pictures of this villa. It's stunning. It's really? so cool. It's very Berkeley. Mm. Like really gor- gorgeous, like funky. The you only know? thing I know about Berkeley is that Jesse Spano really wanted to go there. <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I'm so scared. Okay, Sad. this is really dark, so can we just take a second for that episode? Do you remember the song that they sang when they were Hot Sunday? That was the name of their girl group. Why are you telling me that like you're providing new I'm information? Just, I'm just I'm trying to jog that that old well of a memory of you yours. You want to start it? Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Put your mind to it. No, 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 no. Start at the beginning. Oh. Oh, he doesn't know it. Here's a message that I'm sending to you. You can do what you want to do. Put your mind to it. A little work never hurt no one. It's the only way to get things done. Put your mind to it. Go for it. You're gonna break a sweat. Rock and roll. You ain't seen nothing yet. Mind to it. Go for it. You're gonna break a sweat. Rock and roll. You ain't seen nothing yet. Get down and go for it. I like how you were just going to jump to the chorus and you felt so sassy. The verses were inconsequential. You were going to know something that I didn't. And then you I didn't, didn't think that I was going to. I was just trying to create a moment for us because this is dark. This and is now, dark. You, you know what? Ill. Do you remember how they would change outfits? Oh, I and sure do. Kelly Kapowski had a thong. It's in our live show. What is? A clip from that. Oh, right. <laughs> it's just a little clip. All right. But Everybody. Now we're going to have to do the whole dance. I know. Everyone oh, buckle up, okay? That was your passion. Yes. So the police head upstairs, and it's a fucking mess. They spot shards of glass everywhere. They see the most gruesome crime scene probably most officers have ever seen in their career. They enter Johnny's room, and on the floor, they find a bloody hammer. And then they walk into the bathroom, and they find the landlord Catherine's cat dead. And it is brutal. And I'm not going, that is all I'm going to say about that. They looked in the primary bedroom and there was obvious signs of a struggle. Furniture was thrown everywhere, lampshades broken, blood on the furniture. And they go to the side of the bed and 81-year-old Catherine Davis, who was the landlord, was dead. She had massive, traumatic head injuries. It was very gruesome. And they immediately assumed that the bloody hammer they found in Johnny's room was the murder weapon. So immediately the police are thinking, well, Johnny's the killer. And they found scratch marks on his neck, which was evidence of Catherine defending herself. So they have an idea of what the timeline might have been. So basically, they think that he went out, introduced himself to Dan, and then that 30 or 40 minutes he was gone, he went back to the villa, murdered Catherine and her cat, then came back out and immediately started that argument with Dan and his painter. And then he ran back home. They describe it as him scaling a wall like Spider-Man. They equated it to Spider-Man and went back into the villa and he either fell or jumped off the balcony. So the shock, the horror lands on everyone like a ton of bricks. People could not understand why this happened. It's senseless. It's always senseless. Now, a lot of Johnny's Sons of Anarchy family was totally shocked by the news, but one man was not. The creator of Sons of Anarchy, whose name is Kurt Sutter, released a statement saying, I wish I could say that I was shocked by the events of last night. But I was not. I am deeply sorry that an innocent life had to be thrown into his destructive path. This is someone that obviously gave him this tremendous opportunity to star in Sons of Anarchy, saying right here, I was not shocked that this happened. I didn't realize anybody else felt that way about him at that time. And I think this had a lot to do with the fact that he threw away an opportunity that was amazing for him. 
And the truth is, is that a lot of them did not know this side of Johnny. He was unrecognizable. Yeah, that most people absolutely did not believe it. And then people were thinking maybe this guy made that sort of callous statement because this was the person that gave him his biggest opportunity in his life. Maybe he was slightly offended or harbored some kind of resentment towards Johnny because no one for the life of them could understand. Moreover, nobody could figure out a motive for killing Cal. Catherine in such a brutal and traumatizing way. And the cat. Yeah. Trust me, we're sparing you the details of that. So there was a lot of speculation as to whether or not Johnny had been using drugs or alcohol at the time of the murder. And they brought up bath salts. Do you remember how bath salts were all in the headlines? I... Until they explained it, I really thought, like, kids took bath salts and did something No, 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 no. Bath salts, for those of you who don't know, is a synthetic drug that causes extreme hallucinations. And there's a very famous case, I believe in Florida. Florida, yeah. About a man who used bath salts and brutally murdered a man. But that just didn't seem to some to be the case here. And eight weeks after the murder, the results of Johnny's autopsy were released. The cause of death was blunt force trauma from the fall. They couldn't conclude if it was a fall or if it was intentional. And the toxicology report came back completely clean. There were no drugs in his system. We see this list, you all. It covers marijuana, fentanyl, opiates, hallucinogenics, nothing. Nothing foreign was in his system. And Lynn, the hair person who loved him so much, was like, yeah, I told you he didn't do drugs. And drugs are everywhere in Hollywood. It is everywhere. When I worked at Miyagi's, everybody there was coked up. Well, especially if you're a famous person. It's right. accessible. It is, it's even more accessible. It's kind of terrifying. And Johnny never partook in any of it. No. So the question on everyone's mind is, why would he do this? Now, Johnny and landlord Catherine had a few disagreements in the days before her murder over the fuse box. Because remember, Johnny was extremely sensitive to light and he kept turning off the fuse box in the writer's villa. And Catherine was like, honey... You cannot do this. Yeah, you're living in a house with a bunch of other people. You can't just arbitrarily turn off the electricity in the home that everyone is sharing. But to say that that is the reason he murdered her is complete speculation, and there's no proof to back that up. And then the investigator, LT Lieutenant, who we're not sure if we like, says this. To the investigator, he killed her. She's dead. He's dead. Case closed. Doesn't matter why. Okay, sir. I I was like... I mean, yeah, I understand that, I mean, it was still an innocent woman who lost her life. And I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting the why. Yeah. Especially Catherine's family. That was sort of what made me go, oh, wait, do we not like this guy? Because it was a little harsh. It's very callous. Uh, Again, I think this guy is missing that thing that happens between your brain and your mouth. Yeah, listen, both people were lost. People want to understand. We want to understand. We want to comprehend what could drive somebody to do something so seemingly senseless. Well, and also understanding that, the, the drive, the motive for something so brutal. If you are armed with the information, perhaps you can stop it from happening again, mm-hmm. you know? And Lynn Champagne, the... Hair lady. The the head of hair. Head of hair. Says, look, I really think the injury Johnny sustained from that motorcycle accident contributed to this major shift in his personality. He was never the same after that. And I knew him before. There's no way he was capable of this type of violence when I knew him. And then we meet a family therapist named Christy Mariner. And she says, look, I can only speculate. I'm not here to diagnose Johnny. I didn't know him, but I, I have a long history in this work. What I know is that that young man needed help. And he also refused to get help. In fact, they tried to get him to have an MRI twice after that motorcycle accident, and he refused. And so it was very possible his injuries were far worse than anybody understood because traumatic brain injury can lead to hallucinations, delusions, excessive violence. And it just seemed like there weren't enough people looking out for him. I don't know if his parents are included in that or not. But at the end of the episode, they asked... If Johnny would have received help, do you think that would have changed the circumstance? No. I don't think he had that capacity. It was just so far away from the norm. 
It's just such a sad story. And that's where it ends. It's where it ends. Now, I know you, my little researcher. Mm-hmm. I know you've got some information for me. I do. I actually want to film your reaction to the first thing I'm going to tell you. Pay no attention to the camera. So a couple things were left out of the episode. Of course, it's a, a short episode. I think they do a really great job in this show. And I actually understand why this might have been cut out, because it would have taken us on a whole other path. Johnny Lewis had a daughter. Oh. In 2008, he was dating an actress by the name of Diana Gaeta, who was on Sons of Anarchy with him. And in mid-2009, they learned that they were expecting a baby. And Lewis split up with Diana after his daughter, Cullum May, was born. And and they went through an awful custody battle because he wanted to keep her and he lost that custody battle. Wow. Which makes you wonder right. what was going on there. And so the couple split in April 2010, right after she was born. They briefly attempted to live together, but Johnny eventually moved out and things got really contentious. Something else that they didn't include, which I'm actually a little bit curious why, after that motorcycle accident and after he had come back from the jail stint where he was bashing his head against the wall, he had repeatedly attempted suicide. Oh, wow. And after the break-in, Lewis had a probation officer and the probation officer said they were, quote, concerned for the well-being of the defendant, but also the community that he resides. He will continue to be a threat to any community he lives in. Wow. And he actually did go to a treatment center at some point called Ridgeview Ranch, and they offer treatment for drug abuse and psychosis. And he was prescribed medications to treat schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. And they found a journal entry from his time there in July 2012. That's just a handful of months before this all occurred. And he wrote, quote, I felt more whole today, more complete, like parts of myself had been stolen in my sleep and scattered all over the world. And now they've begun to return. It's all very confusing. Yeah. And a doctor described him, quote, he had a look I've only seen in disturbed veterans of war. His memory was scattered. He vacillated between basic lucid conversation and incoherence. Wow. And here's the thing. Nobody knows if his refusal to seek help had anything to do with his Scientology roots. Wow. Because... His lawyer said that his parents actually encouraged him to seek help. So it's all very confusing. And I really think that two lives could have been saved if more people really understood how serious traumatic brain injury is. Because here's the thing. You can have moderate or severe traumatic brain injury. They call it TBI. That can just be a bump. It can be a fall on the head. It can be so many different things. But it can have long-term, lifelong health problems, and it can affect so many aspects of your life. And the symptoms of TBI can mimic that of somebody who's on meth or some kind of hallucinogenic. It just seems so clear, and it's very curious why. I mean, I guess he's an well, adult. Well, he refused, yeah. yeah I mean, I guess... He absolutely refused. Yeah. You can't force people to do things that they don't want to do. It's exactly. really very tragic. What a tragic ending. After the statement about him being incoherent, people reported him doing odd things in that treatment center. Like he would slip into a British accent and introduce himself as different names. Also, I don't want to blame a victim's family. Why did his dad leave him at that writer's villa? I have no idea. And we don't know the details surrounding that. They don't really go into it. It just feels, though, that they should have been informed of his history so that they could make an informed decision as to whether or not he should live there. Um, I mean, of course, hindsight is always twenty twenty, and we know that he should not have been there. But yeah, it's, it's just sad. It's very hard to watch someone you love deteriorate and also simultaneously refuse to get help. You cannot force people to do what they don't want to do. I have, in my life, drove myself crazy trying to get people to do something that I felt was the right thing. Yeah. And it's, it's a problem every time. 
It's really sad, and it must have been really hard for his friends and family to watch him spiral and to watch all that bizarre behavior unfold in front of them. And I don't know why they didn't include the information about his prior attempts. I don't either. But that poor baby girl doesn't have a father, and it is a very tragic story. And also the story about Catherine shouldn't get lost either. No. He was the movie star. That was the story that they went with. But she seemed like a lovely person as well. She was also beloved. Yeah, say something funny. Well, you know me. When we cover a very dark story, the only thing I know to do... Take it away, baby. And that is to sing. Do you remember the song from the end of the episode where they formed Zack Attack on Saved by the Bell? Friends forever always will be there, will be there. I like the other one better. What am I, a jukebox? You don't lie, you like to one better. That's what YouTube is for. Wow, I really do love this show. It's very well made, but these cases are dark. They're dark, they're heavy. But they are very well made and I had no idea. Are you guys liking Death by Fame? I hope you're watching it. You can find it on Hulu, it's on Discovery, it's all over. So catch that. You can also follow us on social media at I Think Not Pod on Instagram and TikTok and head on over to our Facebook group page. That is where we just announced our new merch tiers where we give you the option to have a quarter DB-ITN-inspired paint party with one of our talented DBs, Iken Paint, and we're going to sit virtually and paint together. And you also have the opportunity to sit in live in our studio audience and watch us record Swamp Talk, as well as tons of merch options. We're trying to support our small business DBs, so we're going to be sourcing all of our merch right from inside our community. Listen, we're learning as we go, but we always take your gracious feedback and we just have the best community we really do we're we're, we are very lucky we are lucky please follow us on social media please tell your friends about us by tagging us on instagram or tiktok and while you're at it leave us a five-star review on itunes yeah if you have something nice to say we'd love to hear it if you've got nothing nice to say that's what reddit is for We can't thank you enough for all the support that you give us, and we want to give that right back to you. Thank you, Rick, for putting up with our nonsense. We love you, Rick, and we love you, DBs. I love you, Joey. I love you too, Yellen Morsh. Love you, DBs. Love y'all. Bye. Kelly Kapelski's though. Now that woman, Robin, she not that woman, Robin. Makeup artist? The makeup artist. Now that woman, Robin. You already introduced her as the makeup. Robin, I love you. She's in the Down Bitch Society, I think. Give a sneeze. Hold it in. Don't you fucking sneeze in here. Oh, Jesus. It's going to come back. It's like gonorrhea. It always comes back. Jesus.